0: Hi, I'm Anna Nguyen, and you're listening to Critical Literary Consumption, a podcast where I ask my guests who are authors, scholars, and poets about their reading and writing practices. Some topics I explore are, what is the author responding to, what are the possible tensions between author, text, and audience, whose interpretations matter, what could be a miscitation, and how language is used and constructed. My guest today is Wing An Lee, who was born in Hanoi and now lives in Ho Chi Minh City. She works as a freelance editor and is a translator of more than 20 titles to date, mostly from English to Vietnamese. Her debut English translation, Chinatown by Thun, won an English Pen Translates Award and was published last June by Tilted Access Press and New Directions. She also co-edits ZZZ Review, an online independent open-access literary review in Vietnamese. I'm so excited about this conversation because it's my first robust conversation about translation, which I'm informally interested in. But I guess today's conversation will be focused more on the politics, craft, and work involved with translation. So hopefully this will inform me as I think about how I incorporate Vietnamese words in my mainly English textbook. So I want to begin with this question. As someone who speaks Vietnamese quite comfortably but cannot read or write in formal Vietnamese, I'm interested in your work as a translator. In some of your translated essays from ZZZ Review, in which you talk about translating Voorhees and Kazuo Ishiguro, could you speak more about your experiences as a formal translator? How do you demonstrate competency in various grammar styles and rules? And what is your method, if you have one?
1: At first, I may elaborate as to what do you mean when you say formal translating, like a professional translator? Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, so I guess because there is in graduate school something called translation studies, I wonder if that's a formal route you took or if you had to demonstrate some sort of uh, fluency in the two languages that you're looking at. Are there exams that you have to go through before you are allowed to Uh, translate a novel? uh,
1: uh, Apparently, I'm speaking mainly from my uh, experience working in Vietnam <laughs> as a uh, mostly English-Vietnamese translator, but I think there are similarities between my experience in Vietnam and I think most of the translators in maybe the uh, international foreign sphere. So uh, uh, about translation studies, I think that them is actually more about, um, you know, Uh, translation theories and practices uh, rather than translation practices and if you do have a chance to practice it's uh, more about like industrial uh, translation and not really creative uh, literary translation so uh, in my experience literary translation has uh, much more in common with uh, creative writing and literary creation as a whole. Is that you, I think, you mostly stumbled into it. Actually, uh, as I have known, translation studies course in the university doesn't require. Uh, they don't. Uh, they don't require too much uh, linguistic complexity, and not everyone who graduate from a translation studies program can. Be professional translators, they just like got a great start and a theoretical cool background to to help them if they decide to do it later. Mm-hmm. But uh, literary translation is very much, um, like mm. I must say, uh, more than like, like a labor of love thing, uh, you will have to love for uh, books and reading, you have a sensibility of the beauty of language, the language you uh, translate from, and the language that you will translate into, and uh, you have a certain degree of cultural dexterity to, uh, to re- deal with the problems that we interpret about why you are translating. I mean, actually, in my experience as a translator and an editor uh, for a publishing house and also for the set review, uh, competency in grammar rules are not that important because you will always have an editor who Uh won't be like your schoolman, but uh, he or she will help you to to source out uh, the tricky Uh points of grammar and maybe stars, but... uh, as an editor in for a translator, I will look at some, like, kind um, of demonstrations of uh, holistic complacency of language as a whole. And especially uh, if it is suitable for this particular project that I am meeting the translator for. So there are rules to become a professional translator, a translator who is uh, signing up to translate a book that will have a publisher who is signing up for a project that will absolutely go to publication is uh, either they answer a call for translator by that uh, publisher mm-hmm. and perhaps they will have to uh, do a semi-formal test that is geared to that particular project or uh, to expand the pool of translators for that uh, a picture in general, or they can be already a working translator and, uh, they are referred by word word mouse or by the networking friends and colleges, uh, for that, uh, via the other project, or, um, perhaps sometimes a translator would have some projects that they love so much that they will try to you know, translate, translate a bit. or. Um, at times uh, the whole novel or the whole uh, collection, and then they will try to send it to one or the other publisher. Those are the main uh, main ways you become a published translator. So uh, with me, is like uh, a lot of translators that I have worked with in my like series and editors. I have, I had begin to translate things since like um, past or something. It, was just uh, a hobby thing. To me, translation was uh, like a way to uh, a substitution for close reading because I wanted to read this or that book very much, but uh, well, I didn't really have time for it. If I don't, uh, if I didn't make it some test or something, so I began to try to translate it and during my translation process, I discovered things about that I wouldn't have found if I just uh, read it like um, passively. So I have been translating things uh, that I I love or I want to speak it. I want to write it again. in my own voice. And I would in this publishing house as an editor. I... I saw a, a translation project that they became for a translator, a new translator, actually. And I thought maybe I can mm-hmm. just try to it. there was no harm. And there was no harm. And my simple best master and they sent me it for that terms the project. And I have been translating
0: since. <laughs> what was your first? The first novel you it translated.
1: Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Table.
0: Yeah. And me okay, you sent me that review from Triple Z Review, and I didn't realize that was your first translation. I also want to bring up the two reviews I found really striking. You wrote Borges and Kazooichi Girl. There was a common theme that I found in them in which she kind of talked about how. So, Borges, the way you described <laughs> it, based on the Google translated version, so, <laughs> prose and when he writes in his his mother tongue is very simple and the translations are, I don't want to say like more literary or more heightened. There was a, a distinction that you made. And then your experiences translating Ishiguro's, was it Remains <laughs> of the Day? You said people were surprised by how... Is it plain? I can't remember the exact <laughs> terms on the Google Translate because I never know if that's the honest translation. So so I saw those as common themes of the surprise at how simple the structure of the original text is and how the language of the translated work could be quite different. So what was your response or what were your experiences about the the reception of your translated uh, well,
1: words. Well, I wrote on Barthes' uh, translation, uh, double on Barthes' translator. Uh, it was yeah, it was uh, a right, American right, right, translator yes. named uh, Norman de Giovanni. And um, the remarks that he had just mentioned are his remarks. He was very like disappointed with uh, translations of Borges, Borges and he wanted to do it his way better. Uh, I must say that when I myself translated Paul stories, I have read, I have consulted uh, the Japanese translation and like clear uh, <laughs> foreign translations. And every translator has his or her unique approach to one particular uh, author. And even though the Japanese criticize the others, like beautifying more his, his prose. He himself mm-hmm. has some somewhat guilty that of that uh, beautification. So I think it mm-hmm. is actually something that uh, every translator will will commit more or less because we as writers and, and translators are a kind of writer's wishes want to write beautiful prose, beautiful words. And uh, sometimes if we feel like the things we write down are too simplistic or too rude or too too, space, we feel like it is some reflection on ourselves as translators. And the readers will also think that it is a decision outside rather than an attempt to be the, uh, the other style. So that was something that I encountered when I translated uh, The Remains of the Day, as I said in my essay, mm-hmm. I tried to, to make it as a kind of pompous and old fashioned because <laughs> because that's, <laughs> that's how I felt about The Remains of the Day. And uh, I think Ishiguro uh, is a very mm-hmm. special writer because uh, every book uh, he his is different. And I translated his nocturnes before. It was it is a collection of short stories, mm-hmm. and it is quite yeah, it's quite modern and uh, lively and simple. So so when uh, I got to remember, and there is a totally different okay. approaches it creates a lot of stress on me, mm-hmm. and then it creates a kind of backlash mm-hmm. uh, in uh, among readers. But then after that, you know, some some readers actually see the point of my approach, and I'm not sure if they love that
0: translation, but at least they they see the point. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the way you approach, specifically perhaps you you should grow. There's a delicate balance between preserving the author's style and then some some of your desire to also beautify the language as well, so yeah. there has to be a balance. Yeah, they will always be that
1: uh, balance. For example, uh, just committed to Chinatown. Yeah, Chinatown is uh, mm-hmm. very beautifully written mm-hmm. in Vietnamese, but... Uh, it is also very Vietnamese and uh, as a language can mm-hmm. sound bit simplistic if uh, we just transfer the same the same thing word by word to English and uh, there will be a uh, Vietnamese like uh, way of speaking way of thinking way of joking that mm-hmm. um, don't necessarily transfer well into English so I uh, like I have to tried two or three drafts of Shenmata before I decided on the last drafts that I sent to my publisher and uh, there were like totally different sentences between the drafts because like, when you uh, are reading the, the original and the translation side by side but when you forget the original and you just uh, did the translation it will sound like yeah, we saw like uh, someone mm-hmm. who is uh, just beginning to uh, to learn English and it won't work well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I want to show guys this as her as they like most beautifully written worked in contemporary and colloquial Vietnamese. So I ended up trying my best to preserve her. style in that repetitions, the the looping sentences. And some quotes on her mm-hmm. deadpan shots. But on the sentence levels, I have to um, shift a lot around to make it sound uh, somewhat like colloquial English.
0: Now that we're talking <laughs> concretely about Chinatown, I know your translation is her first mm-hmm. to be published in English. And I think, I think was that publication? Yeah. It was 2005, was it? And your translated version was just yeah, released like, this uh, year, right? Two months ago. Yeah, yeah, it's very new. Um, and in the translator's note that you sent me, and also want to remark on the similarities in the sentiment in the interview hosted by National Centre for Writing in the UK. He spoke about admiring the book as a young reader. And you kind of already talked about this, how you wanted to preserve Twins prose, uh, short, often repetitive, choppy, loopy sentences. I think in your translator's note, you said it was both an easy and difficult task to translate the novel. I think elsewhere in a different interview, you said um, you could read the book in one sitting. Even though there was a sense of repetition, I I found myself rereading passages because I thought I was missing something. It had to be very delicate when I read it because I thought it it almost moved too quickly, even though it was repetitive in the sense of the memory that she was building on. There were multiple memories that she was building on. So while translating, did you discuss with Duan how to best preserve her distinct writing idiosyncrasies? In general, I'm interested in how much input does the original author have in their translated works?
1: Generally, how much does the author have to say about a particular project? Well, it varies from project to project and from the translator to the author to the author. So sometimes there are authors who are just too famous or have to manage, manage translations into languages that they just can't uh, read or can't, can't communicate with the translators. Or they simply don't care and they will just let the translators or let the publishing industry does its things and yeah and, and then maybe they will mm. put their translations on their Instagrams or Twitter or something, but they don't really engage as a project. There are other translators who want to uh, like Metro manage the translations and uh, which can be a very good thing if they can supply uh, explanations mm-hmm. and uh, clarifications are uh, perhaps uh, manner editing of the, tra- the final final translation, but sometimes can also be a curse if they want to like impinge on the translator's autonomy because uh translators are uh, traders do, and sometimes they do have egos, and sometimes they do have a very specific uh, methods or approaches that they want to try, and that is not necessarily similar to the others. Uh, in my case, uh, actually I didn't have any contact with, after I have uh, finished the final, final draft of Chinatown, and after that I only asked her a few things about uh, she saw that my point to clarify and, and then she did, did my translation before it uh, went to the publishers and she was uh, happy with it but for the next book I, uh, I'm currently translating of hers uh, Elevator of Saigon she uh, she actually wanted to edit a lot her original work because uh, it is also a book which was published the first time I think uh, like 10 years ago, and she wanted to update it to something that is, you know, said to her current style. And so I'm happy to mm-hmm. talk to her about some new, some new revisions of hers. And I, I look forward to discussing more with her during the process's translation, because like I said, the language issue, is, uh, she she can speak and read mm-hmm. English, but uh, perhaps she is not too confident on her English as in literary mm-hmm. ways. And so she generally let me uh, have freedom with my translation. But uh, I know with Her translation in into French, and she like have uh, I think, six or seven books already translated to into French. She she does work quite closely with her translators and. From the uh, standby. For Elevator in Saigon, she she kind of rewrote the the book into a kind of literary strange that she thinks uh, is more suitable for for it to appear to Mm -hmm. a French audience.
0: I'm bringing up your interview a lot because I I learned a lot from listening to that interview. You also remarked how Dwen lives in. Paris now, is that right, for the last three decades? Yeah. You remarked how the French media discuss her novel, Chinatown, which this is the language I use. Um, perhaps it's not accurate. But there's a flattened sense that there's an absolute historical gaze on the contents of her novel, especially because I think she's also narrating a particular history that she experienced. Um, the, the emphasis is on how life is depicted in post-communist Moscow. Or Vietnam. And you, you use the word injustice. Like you said it was you thought of it more as a love story, I think, was the counter. And I think this could be a generalizing statement, but I tend to think that most Anglophone readers, when they think of Vietnamese literature, they obviously think of the Vietnamese war and the subsequent genre of immigrant stories. Chinatown's different in that it talks about the impacts of the Sino-Vietnamese war and how it causes friction in the narrator's relationship with Thuy, a Chinese-Vietnamese man. In your observations, you've noted that Thuan started starts to break down tropes, though you did write, in, in your translator's note, it's, it's a novel that can only be written by a Vietnamese person living overseas, and you noted, I think it was in parentheses, that she, the writer herself would kind of hate that sentiment. In what ways do you think this novel could provide a different perspective about the diaspora or about Vietnamese history, broadly speaking?
1: Yeah, I think But uh, I mean, whenever that, the other, we probably hate the way I try to pigeonhole her into that description. Because others uh, well, always a to, to to be received as the unique and individual writers that they are. But we as readers mm-hmm. and uh, translators our are introduced as just a particular kind of readers. We always have this urge to mm-hmm. to try to make sense of what we have just read. Uh in my case as translators to, to better inform my approach in translating her. So uh, I think um, the injustice that I mentioned it is also, I, I personally think of this novel as a work of art, a mm-hmm. very innovative narration art, narrative art. And I, I'm i kind of pissed off when, people, nah, like, don't, don't mention <laughs> her art and make it sound like everything she writes about is uh, this or that, I think the political stories. So, uh, I think part of the reasons uh, why the French media made a case about Chinatown when it came out was that uh, there were not very many reviews on Chinatown in the translation when the French translation came out. So they just picked on what they think is the most uh, obvious thing about the book, because a review in the end, it's like why should you read this book? Oh, if you say that it is a very difficult to read because it's too challenging aesthetically, but uh, I have been pleasantly surprised mm. when Chen Tao came out in English, and thanks to the efforts of uh, New Directions and Twitter Express, there have been a lot of reviews, both professional and reader side, such as book I think, uh, most, most people will have quite right. strong feelings about just these understanding aspects. But uh, even mm-hmm. on the um, subject matter, mm-hmm. the, the detection of the yes and intake have been mostly about immigration and, mm-hmm. yeah, in the lines of immigration and so maybe some of uh, his life and history and the relationship between Vietnam and China the people. the so maybe it depends on the the time and the place. The main the main readers, I think it is different. If you were Vietnamese and you read it in two thousand five, and you will find you will say that turns has brought out these particular jobs about the Vietnamese history and about. The relationship with China, for example, Mm -hmm. most of us know very much about the war because it's like uh, something that was kind of suppressed in collective memory around that time. Recently, it has been better Mm In when published Chiang I think it was like the first ever literary book that addressed that war and the plight of the Chinese minority in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Before I read that book, I haven't even thought of the Chinese as a minority and who could be oppressed, who could suffer from the uh, mental policy. Because uh, normally with us, the Chinese would Mm be like uh, this moral minority who were hardworking and not resourceful and um, mm-hmm. very traditional and mm-hmm. very business savvy when we are faced with the idea that those very admirable people have been like, oppressed by the the government uh, mm-hmm. on some kind of I know we
0: kind of we kind of alluded to the topic of what narratives and what gets read and who are the main audiences of Vietnamese-American and Vietnamese readers. And um, Viet Thanh Nguyen's famous concept, narrative plentitude, is often talked about, especially within Asian-American writers and scholars. And I wonder if we actually see robust selection in translated literature. We can talk broadly or even specific to to okay. what you see in Vietnam. So, um, I think Viet Tan Nguyen first introduced the concept of narrative plentitude in a book he, he wrote titled Nothing Ever Dies Vietnam and the Memory of War. And then when, um, the movie Crazy Rich Asians came out, he wrote an op-ed for the New York Times and he reintroduced that, that concept. So it's very broadly used. What do you see as the politics of translated publications and, and if there is a sense of narrative plenitude in your experience, are translators like yourself supported or acknowledged for, for work and labor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think uh, yeah, the concept of narrative plenitude is a, a concept that is made uh, aside from the minority discourse in the US. And it applied to Vietnamese American mm-hmm. um, is in American mm-hmm. and maybe my uh, book authors in in the US and uh, it probably wouldn't apply to someone like 12 who wrote a for Vietnamese audience mm-hmm. because her story even though uh, with all her her newness and her challenging and the challenging style wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. A, in minority want to be a part of the narrative uh that we mentioned but part of the very narrative planitude that he wants to discuss. So and and I think that is part of the reason why she could write as she did because she she was writing for a Vietnamese audience. She doesn't feel like she must explain this. Uh, she must be very representative of that. Uh, and when you, you read her, you are reading a Vietnamese authentic? Is this world allowed here? Yeah, <laughs> a kind of authentic voice is not, is not catered to a foreigner's uh, to to turn that audience, but when it is translated into English, into a, a country which is I think uh, historically resistant to translation, such as US, it is like a double minority. It's a, a book by a Vietnamese American wants to move to enter the mainstream imagination. They must cross a barrier of cultural and perhaps ideological uh, differences. But uh, if a novel written in another language want to be translated into English, they must clear a very a bigger and more important hurdle that is economic barrier, and uh, because. Translating is very expensive, it's very time consuming, and has a very low mm-hmm. return on investment. Mm-hmm. So, from a purely financial standpoint, there are just very few incentives for publishers to commission a translation. I I looked up on the translation database host on the publisher's site. I found out that from two thousand eight to th- two thousand twenty two, uh, there have been fourteen titles translated from the Vietnamese. Uh, yeah, fourteen. Um, this yes. database is not uh, likely to be comprehensive, but it is uh some way for us to see uh the comp- comparison to the other languages. From Korea, it is one hundred and eighty. One from Japan, four hundred and ninety-two because they count uh, light novels. From Chinese, is uh, three hundred and thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. While from German, it is mm-hmm. one thousand one hundred and nine. So a book to be translated, it, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on the traditional interest about that culture, as I had just demonstrated. And mm-hmm. uh, these were also involved as the point mm-hmm. of available translators and the support system already in place for them. For example, events and masterclass and workshops for a translator working from Germany. German to English will be very widely available compared to someone working from Vietnamese to English, for example. And then mm-hmm. uh, this uh, contemporary interest. For example, after we and world translations from Ukraine have gotten much more interest than before. Korea and Japan, with their cultural craze in English-speaking countries also got a lot of attention, and the translations have been exploding. When I look at the list of groups translated from the Vietnamese, also in the publishers weekly database and some earlier books that i have known about they were mostly either a project of some Vietnamese studies scholar who wrote a book who translated for the academic project and they will be mostly treated in university press and presently not have mm-hmm. very much a commercial potential and don't really get to see readers hand some uh some other were commissioned by Vietnamese publishers and I think they are mostly sold in Vietnam perhaps by so to experts or perhaps to friends also Vietnamese or something. And, uh, they are
0: also
1: difficult
0: mm-hmm. to watch outside Vietnam. So. Yeah. I'm just trying to look at my bookshelf and think about the titles I have. I think I have more Korean, and Japanese translated <laughs> works than I do <laughs> Vietnamese. Yeah. And I have Ocean Vuong and Viet Thanh Nguyen on the bookshelf. But I mean, like you had mentioned. Yeah, the reverse is uh,
1: also true. Like uh, we we have Ocean Vuong translated into Vietnamese, and it was actually uh, a best. Uh, but uh, the
0: supervisor mm-hmm. <laughs> is it on Earth? We're on mm-hmm. Earth. We're briefly gorgeous. Uh, that one, okay. But
1: the yeah, well, uh, Vietnamese American or Vietnamese French Vietnamese German authors sure. haven't done all that well. perhaps, apart from Linda Lee, who uh, who was also like uh, niche author. And then we have, like, sympathizer,
0: which hasn't been really to be published at all. So, in addition to the Chinatown title, the other big theme is this geographic space called Chinatown. And we can kind of talk about how Chinatown is viewed in different countries, in different contexts, mm-hmm. in different geographic spaces. There... There, too, is a sense of a historical and critical origin stories of Chinatown, or Zhe Lung. And I had asked my mother about this. I said, mother, I didn't know Chinatown was called Zhe Lung. <laughs> And she said, yeah. But she said, everything now is Zhe Lung. She goes to markets. She goes to Vietnam quite often, but when she's in Delaware or, and she visits the surrounding states, she said, oh, I went to the Zhe Lung today. Oh, so, so she just refers so to all in, the Chinatowns. In Vietnam,
1: people call Chinatown, but in, in the U.S., she will call... Every Chantel Chen cha, chen, lung, chen has become a translation for Chen Oh, this is.
0: As a kid, I said I didn't know you were referring to Chinatown. I thought she just meant a market. She said, Aww. "No, Lung is Chinatown." <laughs> 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 but specifically, Lung was a name, at least in the novel, the name of a quarter occupied by Chinese folks in Vietnam. And I'm speaking about someone who thinks about the space in the United States, I think people tend to think of it positively as a multicultural, diverse space. But Duan to me, has a different image of Chinatown, one that's connected to migration, xenophobia, and racism. Um, I'm not sure what what you have read about American uh, Chinatowns, but do you think that this novel provides a different perspective of that that image and I also want to connect the ideas of Chinatown with this, with this idea that you said twins against cultural tourism in your translator's note.
1: Um, what do you say that um, the U.S. position Chinatown is uh, diverse and mostly yeah, do you mean like people like,
0: like mm-hmm. other than the Chinese cultures? Yeah, there there are Korean or restaurants, Indian restaurants, so it's actually very mixed. But mm-hmm. why it's called Chinatown, I think, it's just kind of um. Perhaps like a historic gesture, but it doesn't it doesn't have the same connotation as what I learned from reading the novel. It's beyond China. It's very expansive uh,
1: I think part of it is because Vietnam is not uh, such a melting pot as China and. The population in Vietnam has been historically and even contemporary rather like homogeneous, so uh, Okay. Chinatown, Chet in in Saigon, is my like most prominent space of immigrant immigrant in Vietnam. Mm. But then, a uh, Chinatown, Chet in Vietnam has had its history for since like uh in the 17th century. So, and mostly pictures the mm-hmm. city is as um part of Vietnam now and because uh, yeah, the Chinese mm-hmm. and Vietnamese are very close culturally so I think apart from the times when there were political skirmish between the two countries uh, people don't really think about the Chinese as the other as something different they are just one among the minorities of Vietnam yeah. but Pai, I don't think that uh also, she has Chinatown in the uh, novel movies, they just Oh, Oh, you, oh, you yeah, don't think because, so? Uh, okay. First, I think um, Chinatown exists in the novel, more like an idea than not a physical space. Because uh, the narrator herself says mm-hmm. that she has never been to Chinatown she has never been to Cher
0: mm-hmm.
1: actually Todd herself said that she mm-hmm. has hadn't been to Chinatown well after she has lived this number. so it is like yeah it is like okay. uh, an idiot this man away and uh, which her mm-hmm. loved one has traveled to and has vanished into rather than mm-hmm. uh, a particular space which is all physical concrete mm-hmm. uh, presence. But also, I, I think the idea of Chinatown in the novel is actually more positive than than what you see from me, uh, perhaps because of my translation. <laughs> uh, because, like, um, Tui is a Chinese ethnic man and he has faced so much discrimination mm-hmm. and uh, Silent oppression is now in Hanoi. So we ran to Chinatown mm-hmm. and uh, Chinatown in Vietnam. Do you know that it actually started out as a refugee village?
0: Yeah, for Chinese,
1: yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. no, I mean, I only knew because <laughs> I did the research, <laughs> so, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know historically.
1: We are, we have been. We have been used to thinking China is a big bully and Vietnam is the uh, the small victim, but actually it is much more complex than that. And uh, as we see mm-hmm. in Chinatown itself, uh, sometimes uh, Vietnam can be the bully to the Chinese uh, minorities, mm-hmm. but sometimes, like in history, uh, Vietnam can provide, as a century for this particular body of Chinese who ran from other group of Chinese. So I think it is uh, particularly poignant that uh, China in Vietnam started out from Hương, uh, which had been a refugee, and then Thuy also led the Chinatown as a refugee from the Northern politics. Uh, mm-hmm. For actually, I think in in the novel Chinatown, the idea of Chinatown is associated with freedom and mm-hmm. inclusivity and mm-hmm. acceptance of what he is, and and it's not too mm-hmm. different from the U.S. Uh, conservative. I think from the, the U.S. US image of Chinatown as a place of inclusivity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think <laughs> so I think of course Chinatowns in the United States projects images of um diversity and and um inclusivity. I also think this framing of uh, cultural tourism is very interesting because I remember when I first arrived in Hanover, Germany, where I'm currently based. I went to a yeah. pho restaurant nearby. The the G who owns the restaurant said she when she knew I was born and raised in the United States, she she actually said the word Chinatown. She said, "There's there's more probably to do in the United States because there are a lot of Chinatowns, and I think a lot of people do use Chinatown as kind of a metric of tourist attractions because some of them are very well known or have have a good reputation, and I wonder." If there's an idea of cultural tourism that Thuan is exploring in addition to it as being a uh, an inclusive space. Especially
1: uh, when I, I was thinking of uh, the division of Vietnam and China Chinatown. If you read the book as an outsider, you will sign symbols that would like uh, the see marriage, see Vietnamese marriage. Rituals and uh, the snack meals and uh, the souvenir shops uh, which sell oh, uh, paintings of uh, the lotus villages at the Hall of Bay and everything's like that. And that's that's what I meant when I read that uh, is against a uh, constructing reason because um, when you read a book uh, written by a Vietnamese which parents do to see science sorry, readers, sorry, sorry, there will mostly be some some such sequences uh, which like educate other people about how how <laughs> our culture is, how we are played in this. It is like a kind of self-esitization and mm. uh, to wrote against that kind what? of taking yourself up so, to, to self, uh, the image to the person. I'm not sure. I think this was more, if you were a Vietnamese cause you realize that what she is doing is to present, uh, those kind of uh, mm-hmm. set pieces as, uh, uh, in some mocking way, and as some kind of defamiliarization. But perhaps if you was a no, mm-hmm. you will just see the marriage rituals and the uh, slick news and mm-hmm. you will react as the French guy in mm-hmm. the world reacts. So but it is something new and curious and I should try this and, and I should read this book as a way to learn about Vietnam itself while not recognizing that the book itself mm-hmm. is old. Mocking commentary on
0: Vietnamese traditionally, but it's racial and those days. You said this um, this mocking. Is that the word that you Mm -hmm. used? Mocking. Okay. It's funny. I think in an interview, you said there's a lot of humor. Mm -hmm. And of course, I think humor is always so culturally relevant. (laughs) So, because I am, I, don't know the literary styles of Vietnam, genre, like Vietnam novels. So sometimes I actually thought the tone was quite serious, mm-hmm. rather than like self-aware and humorous. When I first read it the first time, I just thought it was kind of a very melancholic story. But then when I read your interviews and how you you viewed Twin's work, I thought, okay, so I had to reread it. <laughs> so, and this is why I appreciate conversations like this because I think there is a way to talk about how. Sometimes a reader is excluded from the cultural commentary because they don't get it. And I think that's fine. And I think it takes some effort to actually learn, especially when it's a translator work, to learn the specifics of the culture and then the kind of tone that is necessary. And, and that's why I thought about the intertextuality. I find that there are multiple stories in Chinatown. Please correct me if I'm misreading. So of course, there's the narrator. When we first read the, the first page, we understand that she and her son are on a bus, and then the bus has stopped for, I'm not gonna spoil it, but the bus has stopped, the and so she's around. kind of going through her <laughs> life story. <laughs> yeah, there's a very long, I think my translated version is like 150 something pages, and so there's a long soliloquy, and then throughout the soliloquy, she specifically always cites Margaret Dura and uh, Milan Kundera. And and then her own unfinished, I think, short story called "I'm Yellow." So there are so many threads. I think in the main story, I'm wondering, as a translator, how do you delicately, because I'm trying to remember how you organize the structure. I don't think there's a lot of stops, like it keeps going, like you know how a paragraph breaks. But because there's a soliloquy, and then she returns to the same references every so often. Um, as a reader, for me, it, it was a bit taken aback. And I had to kind of really pay attention to um, the changes in subject matter and the references that keep happening. So I wonder, how are all the stories and the references to The Lover and Kandura related? And then the short story, what are they what are they working for or against in the main narrative of the story?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think it is another instance of uh, the things you would notice if you have a good background of the relation to tradition and if you just approach it as uh, a new reader with no preconceptions. Because, uh, yeah, the balance between humor and melancholy that you mentioned, humor you know, also something I really grappled with uh, while translating this book. And it's part of the reason why I wrote that translator's note, actually, because <laughs> Because the book is melancholic and, and when I read it the first time, I I think I tried to, more than I will admit to, but uh, it is always so funny and I loved out now at many passages. But, you uh, know, I think it is because I have. Mean so used to this kind of uh, potential of Vietnam and Vietnam history in a very solemn way and very serious way. So her flippancy was actually very refreshing to me back then, I, as a young girl and who was taught to be obedient to elders all the time and was she in a country and so on. And then I read t- who was very. Very disrespectful so uh, so perhaps uh, so bad an American reader who is used to talking chess about their level all the time when would, would't see the impact of trans writing as much as I did um but then again, I think we were also allowed to laugh at our own Absurdity so is more like presently. If you were a newcomer, you will not know if you are allowed to laugh at it, or perhaps you would be dispar- disrespectful to another people's culture and so on. And uh, perhaps with all my explanations and trying to convince you, you won't even see it. You will uh, find the book humorous as- at all, and it is all right too. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Even Vietnamese uh, readers have very different reactions to the book. So, and uh, it is the same uh-huh. way about Kundera and Juras. I I think uh, I picked up Kundera because I I have read so much Kundera and I knew that she uh-huh. also loved Kundera uh, because she didn't mention Kundera at all in the book, and it is. Uh, just through some very subtle intellectuality, But Duras, she mentioned a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, you will be trying to think that she she criticized Duras, but Duras and Kulira are her literary idols. And uh, she, uh-huh. she loved them. She read a lot of them. She even translated a little their bit of their oh. essays about them. But she... It is also mm-hmm. the reason why she thinks she can criticize them as uh, as only a fan can criticize their idol. Yeah, sure. And uh, I think when she mentioned Zendaya sure. and Juras, there may be other authors that I already picked up as a student. She put herself mm-hmm. in the French traditions because she she mentioned a student is school. she like. Mm-hmm. Learned, Finnish uh, and Russian authors at school, but when she came back home, she read uh, <laughs> French authors. Uh, she loved French authors the way that uh, the you uh, know, mm-hmm. uh, the Sichuanese, no I love loved. The men tried to, uh, not really tried to, but they uh, unconsciously wrote in their tradition, so. Her mention of Kundera and Duras, on the one hand, put Paul's self in the French literary traditions, but on the other hand, uh, mm-hmm, uh, they put her in the French immigrant literary tradition because Kundera is an epilogue in and Duras was an expert in Vietnam and the most famous book knows about Vietnam, yeah. so they are... I think there are these two female,
0: Amish here. Yeah, and and the character she was studying in what was then called the Soviet Union was I'm Yellow. Was that did she write it when she was studying abroad there? No, she
1: wrote I'm Yellow when she has already come back home and when she has already lost two. Okay, and I think uh, this short story is or maybe a part of novel serves as. Like a way for her to, to examine her whole life from from the uh, to that of the runaway husband and mm-hmm. uh, yeah and yeah. she she tried to understand you know, how her husband might have been thinking before any way like that and uh, mm-hmm. perhaps uh, the way she right. critic similarity and opportunism of uh, a the wife of she at least wife is a way that she tried to question her own conformism of the northern culture and oppression that busy was visited by and I think writing this story is also the way that she tried to compensate for her own life, mm-hmm. her own dream of getting away herself. Mm-hmm. Because in her real life, she's... Um, but in the story, she went away with the artist. It's in real time. Real life, she's lonely. In
0: the mm-hmm. she can more or less get control. Well, I'm just trying to make a link to Kundura. So the character would have been studying in what was formerly known as the Soviet Union. I get the the kind of cultural historical similarities. And in the specific mention of Doraz's The Lover, I know a lot of the criticisms leveraged at it, especially the way it depicts a, a relationship between a young girl and a, and a mm-hmm. Chinese man in Vietnam. I haven't read the novel, so I've only seen the movie and I did not like the movie. And I know that the author herself had distanced herself from the movie, but the academic essays I read about it are the way that we talk about it now, I think is a bit more oriental than not. So I was wondering if those, Allusions to the authors have something to do with the the circumstances. So the narrator's unraveling as she's trying to make sense of her life yeah. so far. That's what stood <laughs> I, out to me. I think
1: uh, the book is also Orientalist in a way, and I think that is also one of the ideas that uh, introduced it in her work because, like um, the narrator in in the lovers. Her narrator is also in love with a Chinese man in Vietnam. Uh, but she wrote this novel to show that being in love uh, with a Chinese man in Vietnam is not as glamorous as it may seem uh, through the glance of Durasia. Yeah, right, but right. Also, uh Duras books is like a cult, a cold novel in certain Vietnamese literature oh because well, we have so few books uh, written about Vietnam in the uh, European tradition. So that book was read a mm-hmm. lot and admired a lot by Vietnamese uh, students of literature. So turns usually is like I said, most a student's admiration to and uh, her own master and. Way to show that she has outgrown that master Why still having lost, lost a whole mm-hmm. admiration so them? and, uh, but moreover, I think uh, there can be a similarity between the way that a trans-narrator looked at tweets and the way that Jonas depicts a whole Chinese lover, mm-hmm. because actually... If you delve into Chinatown, you will see that uh, the narrator's view of her own husband is old, also a bit mm-hmm. orientalist. In mm-hmm. the way she, she ensues about his uh, slated eyes and his Chinese surnames, and her fantasies mm-hmm. about his ancestors and his life now in Chinatown. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it, it's very many layers.
0: Perhaps my last big questions are connected to your work on ZZZ review. I'd like to know how it got started, for what reason and what kind of um, content you're providing and f- and why you think it's important because um as I mentioned it's all in Vietnamese and I f- I find that really refreshing because you know I can only produce content in English so I always think it's very good and inclusive to have perspectives written in a non-English language works. Uh, well, civil so said
1: TV was started as an child of of my college in Saint Nguyen after she has done her PhD in England, started plus as a blog. And she tried to uh, catch up with the current publication of in Vietnam by writing reviews and for essays. And then she realized that there was a real demand for that kind of for that time essay that she was putting out because we have a lot of uh, readers' groups and we do have a lot of journals, but we don't have something that can provide in depth mm-hmm. reviews and discussion. She's the average mm-hmm. reader and she mm-hmm. can do it. And there were a lot of our friends who mm-hmm. were also with a background academia who wants to join in and start magazine got started. So far we have eleven issues and there's also a blogs. Each issue is about a particular regional or cultural areas. We have issues on on problems such as um LGBTQ or a translation study. <laughs> In general we Actually, all kinds of writings, we have reviews, interviews with other translators. We have essays and books uh, on bookies and mothers. And because we were translators first, we offer a lot of translations of short stories, essays, novels, sometimes novels. And we also work with publishers to put out, like, the trust of the imminent publications. People can yeah. decide if they, they want that book. Mm-hmm. We do also just maybe the of novels or short stories that no publishers have signed on yet, but we think that could be a good fit for the Vietnamese audience and we hope that for uh, some Publishers we pick up on. We also provide translations of political essays for example, in, uh, in the translation issues we we translated a whole chapter of uh, Aldous Huxley's famous book uh, The Invisibility of uh, his Translator. Uh, we have some some essays by famous international. Uh, Academics on um, Kafka or something like that. And it took a lot of logistic efforts to make it happen, but it is worth it. In the near future, we will also want to open an English uh, subside to introduce more about Vietnamese literature because now we feel like we are confident enough to do it and often we're relatively one percent. to so say. I think that perhaps Vietnamese religion can have some stand on the of international stage. So that is what we are doing.
0: I thought it was really funny when I read that about about the reviews. Um, I guess biography. It was described as non-academic, <laughs> and I really laughed at it because I think at least based on the translations, I had to translate your essays, and they're actually very. Theoretical. So I thought it was funny that you, you you yourself use the word theoretical, but I like that the review rejects the term academic. And so lastly, if you can share, of course, what new translations we might expect from you now or uh, in the well, very near future? For me, at the
1: moment, I'm working on uh, another book, which I mentioned, uh, entitled, mm-hmm. I think, Elevating Skybound. Mm-hmm. It is also a time mm-hmm. after this humorous book. But it is also more realistic than true, okay. how I think. <laughs> I and mean, I hope that I will finish it soon and send it out so, to Tilted Axies. And now on the Vietnamese front, i finalizing two collections of short stories by Barface, and more. which I'm so much, mm. I think. And uh, a, few, a few other crochet that I'm not <sighs> really uh, comfortable with.
0: No, no, that's fine. I'll just have you on when um, Elevator in Saigon is out, and I'll just have you back on. We can we continue, continue the conversation. So thank you so much, Lee for the conversation. I know a lot of times people think American perspectives kind of override a lot of the other perspectives, so it's always really nice to hear how um, how we should also prioritize a non-Western perspective on reading and literature. So I really appreciate this oh, thank conversation. You thank you so I, much.
1: Yeah, I think overall one's own perspective is always uh, a bit scary, especially if you know that uh, you're talking to someone who is used to uh, how different mm-hmm. uh, set of values and perhaps ways to think about the world as uh, yourself but I think that's mm-hmm. the point of conversation and uh, well, perhaps we don't uh, like necessarily uh, agree to each other right from the start
0: but it is a good start thank you for listening you can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at ananadroid I'd also like to thank Mariah Barron for creating the cover art for my podcast and my partner Matthew Sample for his music and edits see you next time